like figures that you brag on. Catholics have Mel Gibson. You'd be like, you know, Mel Gibson's a Catholic. Uh, <laughs> you know, Christians, we had Stephen Baldwin. Not near as cool, but that 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 was ours. I know you guys have Ben Shapiro, and he's probably a big deal to you. What what are? Do you have any others? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what you just called what you just asked for was something called Jew hooing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually really bad at it. We're back uh, with another episode of Growing Up Christian. Uh, this is Sam. Casey, say hi. Hey, this is Casey. That was really yeah, good. I'm killing it. Uh, okay, so <laughs> the first thing I want to get into today, Casey, is uh, we put out those polling. I should say I put out those polling questions without consulting you first. And they were certainly some things missing uh, from maybe what I was hoping to get because I'm, uh, I don't know, I've never conducted a poll in my life. <laughs> and Instagram is, they, I mean, there are times where a third option would have been helpful. And I think people were like, neither and moved on. But uh I thought they were, it was basically just related to like trying to figure out what our audience was um, and where they're coming from in regards to like Christianity uh, and if they grew up Christian and if they're still Christian, but the numbers were like a good bit different than I was actually expecting in some ways. And then and of course, in some ways they weren't. So like the first one was whether or not people consider or call themselves a Christian and 72% of the people said no, uh, which seemed like i'd say that's yeah about right. i wasn't surprised by that um so where things started to get a little surprising for me was if um if people were or considered themselves still christian if they considered themselves to be like a progressive or a liberal christian and only 58 percent said yes which was way lower than i was expecting that means there's like 40% of people that are just seething through every episode. <laughs> yeah, there's a few, I'm sure, that are like in it for like research uh, and maybe just trying to like get an idea of what's going on. Shout out to Pastor Mike Rule. <laughs> we know you're there. No, he um, he messaged us. He excluded him. himself from the polls, I yeah. saw. <laughs> so, um, But then... Uh, the next one was if if you're still a Christian, do you participate in the church community? And 61% said no, um, which and it's weird. I mean, the numbers here for the people who like consider themselves Christian were generally the numbers who answered the rest of the questions, give or take like some. But um, so I just thought that was weird. Like, I guess that actually kind of makes sense, too, when you look at um if you look at the people who consider themselves like a progressive liberal Christian, which is 58%. And then the, the flip of that question is if you consider yourself a Christian, do you still participate in church? And it was 61% don't. And I'm guessing that that's mostly the progressive liberal Christians. Like they found their way out, but still haven't uh, like of an organized religion setting, but still haven't like abandoned like a, a variation of Christianity, you know? 
I wonder if like the terminology has anything to do with it because progressive and liberal are like very triggering terms right now. It's not great. And I thought about that um, because there were also some, when I just, I didn't, I mean, there was a lot of people who responded to it, so I didn't like go through all of them, but there were some people who said they don't consider themselves Christian, but then said they do consider themselves to be a liberal or progressive Christian. So now I'm like, dude, I won't even listen to progressive metal. That's how, <laughs> that's how non-progressive I am. Uh, Not going to get me through any medium. Opeth. Is it, were they prog? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, like I can't keep genres yeah. straight. There's so like, many, dude. I've never seen more subgenres than in like than in metal. It's it's a little too much. It's it's yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, but I thought that was weird that people, some people don't like when you look at people. Like I don't know if I'm I don't I'm not I answered no to being a Christian and yes to being a progressive or liberal Christian. I was like that to me. That's just like under the arching overarching umbrella. At the same time, I it does make sense that it, it looks they look so different that it, they essentially function as different religions. And I, this is why I've just kind of made the point um, somewhat recently, maybe here, I don't remember that, you know, the word Christian is becoming more and more useless to, uh, to uh, let people to, as a descriptor of what you believe. It's just like, it, it, there's no way one word can encapsulate all of an entire belief system. Uh, it's just too varied at this point. I think, you know, it's, it's, I think about like some of the people that I know that have messaged me about the podcast that I know personally, yeah. you know, like my buddy, uh, Ben, we went to school together, known each other a long time. And we talked quite a bit about like some of his, uh, some of the things that like bothered him about like his church experience and like some of the things that have happened, you know, since we left school and all this kind of stuff. And I think like there's a lot of people that are disgruntled with how like their church has, has behaved or treated them or progressed over the years and stuff. But like him in particular, like, I don't think, even though he's his faith has changed a lot, I don't think he would describe himself as like a progressive or liberal Christian. I think he just sees, I don't know, I can't really assume like what, what he sees himself as. But I think there's a lot of people that see themselves as like, like I've still got most of the core beliefs. Yeah. I don't believe in the, I don't believe in the community as much anymore. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right about that. Uh, you know, I know because, and I've mentioned this before too, but I, I know I'm familiar with certain evangelical communities that I think are doing a better job. Uh, so even though they have like conservative Christian beliefs uh, and theologies, uh, they, they do a better job at um, being a, a force for good in the world than maybe some of the other ideations that we've seen of it. And I know some of those people listen to this as well, uh, where they, so they, you know, even, um, you know, our first, uh, one of our, our first guests, was it our first guy when we had, uh, Chris Deaton on, you know, he, he's more of like, prob- like still within like that, maybe more of the traditional mindset. You know, he actually did the, like respond to this poll. So thanks 
Thanks, Deaton. Um, so, and sorry to blow you up on the spot with this. I don't know if you were trying to do this covertly, but I'm throwing your business out there. We love you, Deaton. Um, no, but for real, he um, he didn't consider himself to be a progressive liberal Christian and did consider himself to be a Christian. But we all know from listening to him talk, and and I just know from knowing him and, and interacting with him on Facebook and following him that like he's one, you know that 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 he's having the same problems with the things that maybe we're having the same problems with in regards to the way the communities function as a whole and uh, would be one of those people who is a force for good in the world and is like responding to in a good way that the negative kind of horse shit stuff that we've been seeing that we're responding to. Right. Well, it's kind of like that reconstruction. Is that what they call it? Reconstruction movement? where they're talking about like uh, how to fix some of the things that the fundamentalist church has, has taken in, yeah. in strange directions. Yeah. I I think, you know, we also got some messages from people. Uh, there was one lady in particular that was talking about how like, she's still sorting out her belief system, but there's still a lot of Christ- things in Christianity that resonate with her. And I, th- I like that approach to it. Yeah. Like, I know everybody's got their own way of doing things, but I like it that certain people, rather than just like ditching it all together. I mean, like, like I did, I guess <laughs> they take what they need from it. And, you know, they, they, I'm not going to say they don't get bent out of shape about the stuff that they don't agree with, but they don't let that, you know, poison the well. Right. And I, but I think, and that's the response I think that's making, um, as they could be commonly referred to as gatekeepers upset like these more fundamentalist versions of Christianity or uh, gospel coalition who, you know, it has as writing a book about how proper deconstruction will bring you right back to where you started. <laughs> Essentially like it's such a stupid concept. Um, and that's just like your reformed oh, it's, theology. And so it's very comforting though, if you're that person, yeah. <laughs> It's comforting to just, just, just believe just with all your heart, just believe that anyone who honestly looks at the book is going to wind up right where you are yeah. because that's the one right way of seeing it. Yeah. I, I, I Pat yourself on the back because you didn't have to do that. You just arrived at the right conclusions. You're great. Yeah. What a genius. <laughs> so, so those like people are, they, they're so convinced that like, the, the problems that exist are um, bad actors, but not with the set of beliefs. Cause they're like, so convinced that the set of beliefs are good and right and salvific, if you will, that the, they're viewing what they're seeing as a response to, I don't know, just that pastor uh, who made those sexist comments. And they're like, now listen, men and women still have their distinct roles in the church you know, the, this, this is still, but that's not the right way to say it. And that guy's not right. So it's like, okay, <laughs> right. let's shut the fuck up and stop these workarounds. <laughs> like you can get to those types of conclusions and make those kinds of jokes simply because you're not because your sex is despite your theology, but because your theology is rooted in sexism. And some of us are trying to move on from that. And uh, apparently others are trying to keep us there and keep the gender yeah. roles going strong. Uh, but, like, like, you know, yeah, I mean, he has a point, but uh, you could sugarcoat it a little bit, yeah. Pastor Terry. <laughs> it's 
so ridiculous. Uh, Dude, I, I listened to uh I don't wanna I don't wanna shout out anybody, but I was listening to something yesterday and there was an argument over some of this type of like this like problematic components in the Bible. Yeah. Problematic laws and, and theology and stuff like that. And the issue of slavery came up and a person made a very long winded defense of biblical slavery. Wow. There's a, that's one move you can make. <laughs> it was, it was new to me. I was like, man, I don't think I know anyone that would take this stance on it, but it was basically like slavery was a, a, a punishment for a crime and it only lasted seven years and and I he's he said a whole bunch of stuff that I just don't know the the scripture well enough to know if it was true or if but it was like it was he was laying it out according to like Exodus yeah. Exodus 21 or something like that how you know someone creates someone commits a crime so they become the slave of another individual it lasts for seven years and at that seven year time period, they could choose to leave if they wanted to or not. And I don't know if that's true, but then the person that was arguing the other side of it was saying like, yeah, but like they could choose to leave, but their family and their children was still the property of the person who yeah. they were a slave to. So like you could choose to leave, but you have to leave your family right. and children behind. And, and, walk and the away person with was no saying money, like, probably no, no home no status no job like okay cool you want to leave your kids and go be homeless yeah. like that's your right you have the freedom to do that yeah. <laughs> but uh the dude I, every time the guy would like like argue the point the guy would just be like look these are the consequences of your decision to commit a crime but i was thinking like man this uh there's some definite parallels here between like back then, like that logic and, and today's criminal yeah. justice system, which he was arguing that biblical slavery was much more humane and better than today's criminal justice system. What? It, it was, wow. dude, it was a lot. It was a lot. lot. I, I couldn't process it fast enough. This was on, like this as I was listening Reddit? to it. I don't want to okay. say. Okay. It was it was on another uh, media outlet. Oh my outlet. god, dude, that's too much. That whole like, it's well, I don't even know if that's completely true. Anyway, like, I know one of the, I know what he's. I feel like what he's talking about is like, I don't know about that seven year thing. Uh, I also don't think that it's true that the only people who were slaves were people who committed crimes. Some people sold themselves into slavery if they like had if they were impoverished. Um, also, like you. And if you would conquer foreigners, you would make them your slave too. Like there, it's not as cut and dry as like. Well, they <laughs> they made the choice to not uh, be born fight for Israel. the king that opposed it. Yeah, it's do we all make choices? Sam? Yeah, you're right. It's true. Uh, I I feel like there's so much more I want to say about that, but it's not really worth going down that road. <laughs> It's like he did like the ultimate uh, response to all that is like, well, look, all of that may be true, but it's still stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're like, OK, that's cool that they used to do that. Like, I, I, that's what I think is funny is when people like revert all the way back to like the way law worked that long ago. Where you're like, great, 
you know, why don't we just look at some of what was done as an advance in um, social human social evolution, social psychology, when you like, like, let's look at the code of Hammurabi, right? Everyone who went to school is likely familiar with that. It was like the first written law. I probably, I mean, I believe it like predates anything that you'd have in the Bible and it's harsh, but it's not, but it was the first time like law was like written down and it was like, okay, so this is a standard and it wasn't like repercussions were made up willy nilly on the spot anymore. So like, no one's looking at now, of course, the difference is you have Christians being like the Bible is God, you know, God's word. So they're like, okay, God said this versus like, this is just what people did. I would look at what we have in the book of Exodus as more of a, this is just what people did. Um, sure. So like when you can look at that or you know, look at like other, other written laws that developed around that time, you can just be like, Let's just acknowledge that that was a start <laughs> and not stay there. Like, why would you go back to that? Because it was written that long ago. Like, yeah, like you don't need it. That's the problem that you run into with all of the, the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is the perfect word of God. That's the problem with that, that belief system and why it's so hard to reconcile that over time is because you have to make a defense of biblical slavery and some of those things. And like, if you don't hold to that opinion, you can just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that was, uh, but I don't think it's a good idea. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) I think we can probably toss that part. I know. And and then of course you actually look at like the history of slavery in the U S and how much the Bible was used to make a justification for why it was fine. Despite what some Christians want to think, uh, they'll try to downplay that. Um, but and of course maybe there's just people looking for excuses to but it was a very um I, that was just the world i don't know that was just i don't know if it was just the easy thing for people to do or if they were going to look for reasons to justify it so that was like a go-to like if the bible didn't exist um would they have just still found reasons to justify slavery sure but sure. it doesn't help that um you know a book that people take that seriously uh said it was okay at one point well it's a part of why it was so urgent to convert you know africans that were transported here to christianity is you know you could impose that moral code and all of its convenient passages on them from that point forward you know that's a subject that i don't know anything about i'm just kind of repeating (laughs) things that are floating in the back of my head it's like it's not like we're like particularly well learned on it maybe we shouldn't go down that rabbit hole too much so we're not those people who talk about things that we don't know anything about but let me move us on is a podcast to um something that i also found interesting about the polling and still kind of on par with i guess what was expected um and so one of the questions is were you at one point a christian but no longer consider yourself one 82 percent of the people who don't cons- I mean, 82% said yes. So our, I mean, that's a big number of people who listen, uh, which is interesting, but the ones who aren't Christian anymore, it was like 68% agnostic and 32% atheist. Um, and I feel like that made a lot of sense too. Um, only because when you look at like the types of polling that's been done more recently on people who have left the church and, uh, your quote unquote rise of the religious nuns, which is, I mean, not like of the nuns in general. It's just like, I'm not really anything. I don't really know if there's a God. Like, there's so much like after being sold 
certainty to such an extreme degree. Like I think people are resistant to being certain about anything uh, in some ways. For sure. To a, maybe like to a healthy level. I think that can go both ways. I think um, that can be healthy and I think it can be unhealthy depending on how well you've like processed. Like, You can definitely find yourself completely unmoored from any sort of any, any guiding principle, which I don't think is really a good thing either. I just think it's a balancing act, you know, but I definitely feel that uh, sympathetic to that. I mean, that's, I, I feel like that's me. Like I'm very turned off by ideology. Yeah. Anything that supposedly explains every aspect of whatever we're talking about doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't matter if it's, religion or politics or a sales philosophy or whatever like any of that kind of stuff that i come across i'm just skeptical of people that are selling the uh the turnkey solution yeah yeah i i, I mean i feel the same way i think even it's it's funny i think in some ways even though i'm still um and this will make some maybe some people annoyed but i i find like that i'm more closely aligned with uh, despite my being Christian uh, more aligned with an agnostic belief. Like, I don't know. Like I don't, what, who, who knows what? I don't know. I, so it's, for me, it's like hard to make like, so I guess in response to what you're saying in the resisting of like being resistant to dogmatism and things like that, it's like, who can know such a thing? about like we don't know uh and it's fine if you're like if from that jumping off point you go therefore i don't think there is like and there's plenty of reason to not think there is um even in light of it there being a lot of reason to not think there's anything out there uh i think i just kind of find myself going uh, feeling I, I guess it does come down to a feeling of some sorts of just um or an inclining because it doesn't really like sit deep in my feelings but it's just like it it seems coincidental for everything to just be like held together and exist outside of that but what that thing is on the outside of all this i don't know and that's why i'm not a particularly dogmatic person anymore is like like to think that like this group of people that i came up in is like when you look at the evolution of even christianity over the years to say like oh us people with this theology at this point in time in a world that's billions of years old in a universe that's ex like, and uh, that existed before planets, before solar systems, before like what it's like to think that those people just nailed it down and have all the right answers to what the mystery of the universe is, I think is so insane uh, and mind bogglingly like simple. You know, what's funny is like how that permeates like so many different, like pretty much every community has that group of, you know, a group of people that are just like, this is a open and shut case. This is how you can interpret every aspect of this particular subject. Yeah. And I was listening, April and I were like doing a bunch of yard work this weekend and Joe Rogan had uh, Demi Lovato on his podcast this okay. week, which I don't really know a lot about her other than I think she's great after listening to the she's just so great on this show she has like the best laugh it's like you got to listen to it just to hear her laugh because when she really gets going it's just 
I don't know. It's funny, but, uh, (laughs) you know, she was talking about like her struggles with addiction and substance abuse and stuff. And and she went pretty hard at one time. I mean, she overdosed on, uh, crack and heroin. I think she said she has like permanent brain damage. Like it affects her vision permanently. I mean, a bunch of different things, but, uh, she was talking about sobriety and the communities that she has, has been a part of over the years, you know, and, and just the, the struggles that she's had in, in accepting like a dogmatic viewpoint on even something like sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the 12, you know, 12 step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, things like that. Like they really sell this idea that like, you're always going to be a victim of your addiction and so you have to abstain from all, you know, you got to eliminate the temptation completely. You can't, there's no way for you to manage this other than to just be completely abstinent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know anything. I've, I've never struggled with addiction, so I don't, I, I can't say that I, I'm speaking from a point of education about this whole deal but like what she was saying is she calls herself uh california sober now which i guess is a term meaning <laughs> i uh i do certain things in moderation including i think weed is the big yeah one. and how she's been able to find like a, a more of a balance doing that than she could when she was like she was just subbing in other things like she when she was completely sober she was going like, I mean, she was doing like six to eight hours worth of workouts a day yeah, and taking meetings with her team at the gym. And so wow. it's like, she's subbed one thing for another and she has like, she struggles with an eating disorder and stuff like that. But I thought it was an interesting perspective how like, you know, even, even in that community, like there's a dogmatic viewpoint and it works for some people, you know, but for others, like that's just not a sustainable option for them. So they have to find some sort of a middle ground. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's so weird. I think the way it's, I mean, I'm sure there's some truth to the way that it affects people in different ways. And maybe some people figure out how to manage it differently. It's, it feels like with alcohol, like, which is like with your AA is like, it's few people get to a point if they're depending on the type of like behavior they exhibit when they're drinking, it's like, there's seems like there's few people who, find a work around that like it's just like when i drink sure. i turn into a giant asshole um but you know it, it seems like maybe around other things particularly weed that there's a little bit more of the nuance i don't really know much about it i i mean i have family that str- has like um extended family whatever that struggled with addiction i, I have an uncle that kind of he, he was an al- he, he's he's an alcoholic and he but you know he he did something similar where he like you know, when he quit drinking, um, he ended up just really getting into just taking care of his own health almost to an extreme. And not really, it didn't become like an unhealthy thing, but it, you know, it is, it, that is a common thing that to my understanding is like people, people replacing one behavior with a more positive one, which I suppose is a good thing. Like if I'm going to, if you're looking to forego poor behavior uh, and you need to fill your time with something, that's probably the best way to go. But prayer. Yeah, that's probably the best way. Pray and read your Bible instead of drinking <laughs> alcohol. Okay, guys. How did you uh like how did you scale back 
masturbating after you lost your job. Yeah. <laughs> after I lost my job, I'm not tracking. Oh, I'm thinking of somebody else. <laughs> with your joke. I'm not even tracking with a joke. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I, I heard that like, when they cleaned out your desk, like there was literal knuckle prints oh, yeah. in the bottom of it, you know, like it affected, like they yeah, had to refinish yeah, it. Yeah, I was so addicted to that that it, um, I lost my job over it. That's right. People just would walk into my cube and they're like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I know. I mean, but to to be fair, there's a lot of people that love My Little Pony that much. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Okay, where you need to get out of here and get ready. To uh, you like, wait. You just love ending it on like weird shit. <laughs> it's like a, we we'll we'll release the episode in a in a couple of weeks. But uh, we, somebody we had on the other day, I made like a a masturbation joke, and they got really like <laughs> befuddled over it. <laughs> it's because it's weird to make jokes like that with people you're not friends with. <laughs> it's maybe my favorite part yeah. like let me just ask this person a really weird question and see where the conversation goes <laughs> then they're gonna be like it'd be great if you know you didn't air that thing that we just recorded like could you uh just trash that interview thanks all right so uh our guest that's coming up is uh is bethany um she grew up christian like like us um well not like us there you'll hear her story there's interesting it's like an interesting uh you know as fundamentalist and stuff as my community was like she's got a she's got a unique story her her community took it to another level uh but she converted to judaism in like around college um in her early like 20s and stuff so and it's fascinating like her her path to that um this was a Really cool conversation. Uh, this is someone that as soon as we started this podcast, um, I was excited to to talk to this. I, I had met her a, a number of years back. Um, I my boss, my previous boss, is Jewish, and um, you know we would him and I would get into like religious conversations from time to time. Maybe we'd like go out to lunch or whatever. Uh, and he's someone I still stay in touch with, and we. Um, he had invited uh, my wife and I to his house for a Passover Seder one year just to, you know, participate in it and see what it's like. And it was just really cool, like, uh, to be able to be a part of something like that. And I met her there uh, and had such a wonderful conversation with her and her husband um, and was fascinated by their story. So as soon as we started doing this, I was like, they were, they, they immediately came to mind. And uh, I, I think the conversation is going to, it was just really fun. I think everyone's going to really enjoy it. Another Hillsdale student. Yeah. So it's me, Bethany, and Eric Prince, the uh, Hillsdale All-Stars. The <laughs> Hillsdale All-Stars. We got to find more. There's got to be some other good ones out there. We should get Eric Prince on the podcast. Yeah. He can talk about how much he loves killing children or something <gasps> like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Blackwater guy. Oh, Jeez, I that's right. You mentioned him, and I'm like, that name did not. It's not someone who's on my radar. I mean, you pay attention to people who murder lots of people. That's your thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not like the other boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I like true crime. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, I think what I liked about Bethany 
her perspective on things is like, if you want to talk about balance, I feel like, you know, Bethany came from a community that was so uh, strict and fundamentalist and kind of isolationist. And, and she's found like such a great balance in Judaism uh, between community and, you know, kind of like a moral infrastructure. And it just seems like it's, it's nothing but a beautiful part of her I life. I know it makes me know? want to convert Bethany. You're, you're wearing me down. Uh, I'm a, ah. I, I, I've said so many times and I'm like, I feel like I should have just like Beth. I, the respect I have, I guess is um, that converting to Judaism takes when we get into it in the episode, but it takes a lot of work. Um, there's a lot to learn. There's a rich, deep tradition that is a really beautiful thing to participate in. And Christianity is just like, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And you're like, uh-huh. No, you're in. And then that's it. There's nothing else to do. You learn the rest along the way. And the rest is like, maybe show up once a year to take communion before church and uh, get baptized. But there's so little to to it. Uh, and they just, they're desperate for a number. They just want to bring everybody in and, and just call it a day that um i'm like i've mentioned before i'm like to jill i just sometimes feel like i should have been should have been jewish but i don't have the resolve and the the connection i don't know i mean maybe it's just a lack of spiritual connection that they that someone like bethany has where they can like dive into it and really let it affect their life um and feel like that's something I always like missed. Like and as soon as I started getting to know um, the tradition a little bit better through my, through my former boss and uh, other Jewish people I've met along the way, I'm like, that is the cool. I mean, it's just, there's so much more to it that is about like your lifestyle and your participation. And of course there are dogmatic people, but uh, like there are everywhere, but it's less about that. It's less about like, just believe these things and check these boxes. And it's like, just keep participating in this conversation. Even if you think uh, what you're reading here is really shitty and we just need to talk about why it's shitty. And I think that's really something Christianity is. I think Judaism has a lot of what I think Christianity is lacking, which I think is why I find it so enticing. I just, I just don't think I'll put in the work. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm content to enjoy Judaism by proxy (laughs) and through other people, but it was a great interview. And, uh, yeah, I think I think you'll I think you'll like it. This this was a, a a little bit of a a shift from some of the past couple episodes that we've done. So that being said, uh, enjoy our conversation with Bethany. And again, if you are not on the Discord, find a link in our socials. Jump in on that community. Uh, there's a lot of funny stuff gets shared back and forth. Uh, some debate. Uh, lately here which has been good it's been healthy respectful so yeah yeah find the link on instagram or facebook or wherever else and come on in join the party hey everyone we're back with our guest bethany slater who is the director of programming and jewish education at temple bethel birmingham and she's also a phd candidate at Boston College in Comparative Theology. How's it going, Bethany? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being with us. What, do you want to just give everyone a little bit of a snapshot of um, kind of what, I mean, I gave you your, uh, introduced your credentials, but uh, I, I kind of just give everyone a little snapshot of what you do and, and, and what you're studying. 
Yeah, sure. So I, um, I work with my husband, who's a rabbi here at uh, our congregation. I started in August after spending um, a couple of years uh, struggling with my um, dissertation and feeling pretty bummed, actually, about how hard it was to, um, to write. I don't know if anyone else out there has ever been in ABD hell, but I know what that's <laughs> like now. And, um, and so back in August, um, there was a job opening and I applied um, to do Jewish education. And it's actually been a, a terrific role to step into. I, so I'm responsible for all of the education from the little kids all the way to um, our seniors. And I also do a lot of our religious programming. Um, so anything that has to do with celebrating holidays for the congregation. Um, I supervise a bunch of staff members as well. And so um, kind of have my hands in a lot of different pots. Um, and it's been fun to really feel like I could drive the kind of change that I was looking for and help um, the congregation just continue to iterate what it does um, to be more appealing, I think, to um, to my generation and, and younger folks, um, as well as to really care for our senior members better and better. So I discovered that I love um, I love pushing and bringing, like pushing change. Um, and so it's been, um, yeah, encouraging work. And on the side, I'm now writing the dissertation, which I find to be actually a much more um, healthy experience. Um, so I, uh, I work on the dissertation a couple of days every month and, um, and then work for the congregation the rest of the time. And um, my dissertation work is in comparative theology, like you said, and so comparative theology is a field developed by a Jesuit priest who spent a bunch of time in India, and he learned a lot from his um, engagement with Hindus. And when he um, started writing, he started writing about how he felt the Catholic Church could be enriched by learning from Hinduism. And so this kind of developed a field um, of theological studies, which basically says, hey, we can actually learn something deeply from another tradition that we might want to bring home to our own um, traditions. And so that's what I do. I study Christian theology. I particularly look at the work of a couple of contemporary Christian theologians. James K. Smith and um, is one of the key ones who's an American theologian. And I'm writing about how their work can help us do a better job internally within the Jewish community of talking about how prayer, um, like what the value of prayer is, especially what the value of liturgical prayer is and how it can form us. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. That sounds really interesting. It's funny that you say that, or that's not really funny, but notable that you mention it because I feel like that's something, at least more in the past, like good few years, um, maybe I've just been paying attention more, but that within certain Christian communities, uh, at least that I'm a part of, they're trying to do their due diligence in, you know, looking at other faiths as well, but particularly Judaism in the way that they, whether in the way that they look at their scriptures versus the way that maybe Christians do and what the differences are and why. And so I, that's, I think that's really cool. Um, and I definitely resonate with the interest in, in learning how maybe other people are going about they're theologizing, if you will. Absolutely. That Jesuit priest that you were talking about, was that well-received in his time? What time period is that from? Oh, he's a 20th, he's, he's a 20th century guy. 
So, okay. um, yeah, so he's still, he's still with us. Um, and actually he founded the department at Boston college and then Harvard university poached him away from us. So he's actually in Boston. Um, and oh. he created a comparative theology department at, at Harvard as well. Um, oh, that's yeah. really cool. <laughs> so it's a contemporary, it's contemporary work, but it's certainly right. You know, just like with every tradition, right. Catholicism is deeply diverse and has multiple, you know, people have multiple responses to, to trends. And so there are certainly, um, you know, people who would probably throw up some red flags about the kind of work that he's doing, but there's also, um, you know, whole avenues of, um, dialogue and engagement with his work and with the work of other comparative theologians. And you actually can see through across the country, actually quite a number of my colleagues getting hired at Catholic departments, um, because it gives Catholic theologians an opportunity to be versed in another tradition, right? So, um, sometimes that actually is really helpful to, to the department. Oh, cool. So Bethany, I think one of the, I, what, one of the things we want to, well, we would like to, we want to talk to you about is your story. It's um, I think it's a unique story. Um, you, you were kind of born into a Christian home and you grew up that way. And then you converted to Judaism at a later date. That's right. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and um, I, I want to know what kind of, what kind of denomination or, tradition, yeah. Christian tradition you were part of, um, and then kind of what your time was like within it, uh, and then get into like where, when the pull towards some, towards Judaism came into and, and kind of how all that got, got orchestrated. Sure. And feel free to interrupt me if you want me to clarify or speed up because it can be a really long story. <laughs> That's fine. Um, <laughs> we have time and I like, you're long like all right, just move it along lady. Um, <laughs> so, um, I was born in San Diego. My parents both had Catholic upbringings as kids, but had gotten involved in a Chinese church that had done a church plant in San Diego. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that face that you just made. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, um, it was a very intentional community lifestyle that I was born into. Um, everybody lived really close to the church and, um, anything that needed to happen at the church was basically done through volunteer work, right? So it was very un non-professionalized, right? Church experience, right? So it was all lay led and, um, there were no pastors, um, and they practiced what they called the church life. Um, they were actually really clear about the idea that church is the community of believers and not the building. And so they called their buildings, the meeting place of the church, right? Um, and my parents were incredibly devout. Um, they, they, my mom used to pray with me for hours at night when I would fall asleep at night. Um, she says I, I would stick with her as like a two or three year old. I would just be sitting there saying amen to all of her prayers. And, um, <laughs> and my my dad would sing to us when we were kids. He would sit in the hallway between our bedrooms as we fell asleep at night and, and sing to us for like half an hour, um, religious songs. And the, this church community was, was so sort of alternative that, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't really participate at all in any kind of mainstream culture. So 
we didn't listen to the radio and we didn't have a television. And um, I learned a bunch of songs that I thought were Christian songs. It turns out that they were all Beatles tunes that the church had like ripped off and written new <laughs> words for. So like we all live in a yellow submarine was definitely <laughs> not about drugs in the way that I learned it. Um, so yeah, it was, um, it was a very kind of hear a little more about <laughs> Sorry. What was that? Oh, I'm sorry. I was, did they change the lyrics? Like they took the yeah, tune they and like, all built, the lyrics. like, yeah. Do you know what you were made for? Do you ever wonder why? What's the purpose for your being? What's the reason that you're alive? Do you know God wants to be your life? I'm saying that's, it was some pretty, pretty stellar lyrics. Wow. <laughs> you just got those on tap too. <laughs> <laughs> there was a band like that for a while called like apologetics do you remember them sam no i don't that one oh they like rewrote like acdc songs and stuff with christian lyrics and it's whew, it's bad <laughs> <laughs> i like yours a lot better <laughs> um so yeah, so I learned a lot of Elvis that way, just as love songs to God, right? Instead of love songs to other people. Um, and it was a really, it was a really special kind of precious time for me as a child, right? Because there was just a lot of um, in deep, real connection to all the other people who were kind of living in these intentional communities in the middle of cities, right? Uh, with one another. Um, but in the end, it kind of, it got weird and my parents decided we needed to leave. Um, and so when we left, we ended up kind of bouncing around for a bit. Um, we were, we had such a kind of weird, our own unique culture that we didn't fit in very well in evangelical space. Um, and so we bounced around at like house church kind of stuff in late, my like June, early junior high days. And then um, my parents found an offshoot group and um, it was like a break off of this same group, this same did not like kind of way of doing church. And we moved to Phoenix, Arizona to be part of it. So we moved at the time we were in Eugene, Oregon. We left Eugene. We moved to specifically to be a part of this group. And it was just like a whole reimmersion in that same culture. Everybody lives close to the church. All you do, you go to the church school, you, you know, the the girls after school would go to different women's houses and pray for hours and like Saturday morning we got together and sang songs and then everybody cleaned the church and cleaned the park you know cleaned the grounds together it was just very you know connected again um, and then a, and that was really formative for me because that was junior high I feel like junior high is when you're really figuring mm -hmm. out kind of who you want to be in your social network. And my social network was just a bunch of other kids who wanted to connect with God. And like, that was, what was your was school it. situation like? During that? Um, well, so in sixth and seventh grade, I had been homeschooled in Oregon, which I'm super grateful okay. for actually, because I don't have a single bad memory from junior high. Just like, don't remember getting picked on. Don't remember anything bad happening. It was just a lovely like blur. Right. Um, and, and then in eight, it was eighth and ninth grade that I was in this like intentional community again, back in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
Um, and that's when we went to a church school. Basically, the, sc- the church had their own school. It's pretty small, like 35 kids in all okay. of the grades. So it was like, I think it was seventh grade through high school. Um, yeah, it's a small, small okay. group of us. Um, yeah. If it, if it's not something so um, that you want to discuss, totally understandable. But what uh, what got weird about the group originally? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is a risk of all intentional communities, right? They be, can become overly controlling, um, and the leadership can become um, overly empowered. So there was some corruption at the upper echelons that was really upsetting and concerning to my parents. And um, they felt they needed to get out. And then the new group that we thought sort of was like, let, it didn't have any hierarchy, right? It wasn't, there weren't so many churches. It was just this one little church. We thought, okay, it'd be easier. There wouldn't be as much potential for abuse of finances. It turned out that they were also quite manipulative of people and their lives. And, um, and so we ended up having to leave that one as well. So it was like Mm. in again for another year and a half, a little more. And then in the middle of ninth grade yanked out again. Um, but this time when we got yanked out, we stayed in the neighborhood. So we still saw all our friends walking down the street. They just weren't allowed to talk to us anymore. So we went, our family went through like a whole period of being shunned essentially. Um, That's hard. Wow. That must have been a really difficult experience as a high schooler. That was, yeah, that was a rough, that was definitely a rough period for me. Um, to lose, to lose all my friends was really hard. Um, and it, it wasn't as if, you know, things, it wasn't as if my family wasn't also hurting. Right. So, you know, my parents also were, had lost all their friends and my brothers had lost all their friends. So it was all of us, right. Who were kind of hurting from this. Um, but slowly we rebuilt our community lives and it was mostly through my youngest brother who, uh, my two youngest brothers who found friends at school, public school, and they got invited to a praise and worship center. It's my first brush with like mainline evangelical stuff. And I remember walking in and just being like, oh my God, these people are so weird. And also not just so weird, but like, (laughs) they're so not hardcore. Like I thought we were so much better than all of them. They were like not sold out for God (laughs) the way that we were. Right. I was so, I just walked in with all the the snake cage. Um, I just walked in with all this arrogance, totally just thought we were so much better than these people. Um, and I feel like it was like the beginning journey for me of learning that the people of God were a lot bigger than I thought they were because in our little group, we thought we were the best and we were the only people who were getting it right. And all of you mainstream evangelicals out there were, you know, you weren't going to make it. Right. You weren't really. Um, but they were all feeling the same faithful. way, which is what's so funny is. I know. Uh, right. Being. Yeah. Like the, growing up and like I've talked about this before, but it's just like everyone who was an evangelical in evangelical church all wanted everyone to go to theirs because they're like, I'm here. Therefore, it's the best 
space and you thought you had a level of commitment that maybe other people didn't and so it's funny that you coming from a more extreme version of this and then thinking that way about you're probably describing my camp and i i'm i'd be over there being like those people see they think that they're really committed but it's not the right kind of commitment so they should come here and put their hands up and sing with us and and then they'll find it so does that group still exist um I think that the main, the main group, the, the first one, yeah, it does still exist. Um, I'm, I'm going to avoid naming names so that I don't have to, yeah, say, cause you know, I was a kid and I can't, I can't speak to who and what they are now. Um, so, but yeah, yeah. The, the first one, the, the Chinese church plant still exists. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, so high school, yeah. So high school, I start going to this, this church and I start like going to movies. Cause like, that's what youth group did after, you know, after youth group, we would go to the movies. Um, and, um, I start to listen to regular kind of music that, you know, Sh- Shania Twain, you know, it's like rocking out <laughs> 16. Um, like a woman, feeling like a woman. Exactly. Um, and it was, it was a time I think that was kind of, I felt a little bit like I was stagnating in terms of like my own ideas, but what was actually going on is that I was learning to be less judgmental, but I still had a long way to go. So, um, <laughs> I went to college. I went to a liberal arts college in Michigan called Hillsdale college, a uh, small school, 1100. Oh students. no. What? <laughs> I went to Hillsdale College for a year. <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember. I remember from your first interview. I listened to that first uh, episode. I went to Hillsdale College. My husband and I are Hillsdale grads. <laughs> oh, you made it through. We did. See, I we quit because they made you read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love reading. So I don't know. I, sorry. Different experience, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Casey makes me read books for him and then explain them to him now. That's our new um, thing. Is so Casey, who who did you have for English or history? Do you remember? Faculty? Jackson. Yes, Dr. Jackson, of course. Nice. That guy. Oh man, he he brutalized me. <laughs> <laughs> just, he just retired, actually. He just retired. I I watched his like I was I saw this year that he, he, he's, he's done. Um, wow, it's actually I didn't makes think me he sad. was that every old. Time my, every time my faculty members retire, I'm like, Oh man, it's like not the Hillsdale that I remember, but I was there in from 2019. No, sorry. From 1999 to 2003. So when did, when were you there? I would have been there from Oh five to Oh six. Like okay. that, you know, fall of 05, spring oh 06. That was when my, so my husband graduated in 05 and I got married in Hillsdale that summer. And then we, and then we Man. bailed and we left the country. So yeah, we almost overlapped. <laughs> That's, That's so funny. weird. Was there even like a Walmart there at that time? Yeah, no, we had a Walmart. You, you know, Walmart moved, well, no, Walmart moved in my junior year. First time we had, the, it was the second 24-hour place in town. 
it used to be the only 24 hour place in town was, um, was a truck stop called eats that we just called eats. It just said eat right on the sign. Um, and so if you were, you know, doing an all nighter and you wanted food at 2 AM, like that's where you went. It was truck stop. <laughs> when we went to nice. liberty the uh the, there was a 24-hour walmart even though we got a curfew there the only the only usage that that parking lot got probably after 10 p.m was liberty students who wanted to kiss their boyfriends and girlfriends and couldn't <laughs> yeah just a it's a whole parking lot full of foggy windows <laughs> oh yeah yeah we never had curfew that was good we did have um You'd have to check in if you were going into the men's dorm or the women's dorm and there were like visiting hours. <laughs> so you had to like give your ID card at the front desk and then you had to be out by a certain time. Um, yeah. But other than that, we, we, yeah, we could, you know, you could come and go as you pleased. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so I went to Hillsdale. <laughs> uh, so what brought and, you there? What, what, how was that the school that you, settled on yeah. was it just because Good it was question. an area of um, school well so right at the tail end of my high school experience I ended up at a charter school that was all about classical education and it was run by some really traditional Catholics and they were all trying to get me to go to a place called Thomas Aquinas College which is in California yeah someone okay Casey knows of that one too um and I visited there. They still do Latin mass, right? And they, they do have curfews. Um, and I visited and I, my mom and I were like, wow, this is really Catholic. Like we're not, our family is not Catholic. Like this is really Catholic. Um, and then my mom tried to call someone who had gone there and wasn't Catholic when they started and, you know, hadn't converted on the, like on the way through. And when she called this person, um, they were like, oh yeah, I loved it. It was amazing. You should totally go. Oh, and by the way, I'm converting to Catholicism now. And so my mom was like, mm, that feels a little too narrow. I don't, I'm not sure that's really where I want you to go. So I was like looking for a liberal arts college <laughs> option um, because I did, I did kind of buy in to that idea that like we would need it to be more generally educated, right? To be like a citizen right? And to be a thoughtful human rather than like, let's go to college to get a job. Hmm. Turns out let's go to college to get a job is actually a really good idea. I think the citizenship thing is still also really valuable. I just wish you could do both at the same time. Anyway, um, for later. Uh, I, um, it's so funny that I had, uh, I had, I mean, you just, you, you take all these classes your first year and you're like, I just learned this last year. <laughs> There's so many times that it's like not very properly. Uh, I don't, I feel like with the liberal arts education, maybe it was just my experience with it, but I, I went to a community college my first year also. So um, that, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I'm just sitting in those classes and I'm like, I literally learned this over the past two years. I can't believe I'm spending money just to like pass a test again. to move on. It so was if really you'd gone to Hillsdale, like Casey, you would have had Dr. Jordan and he would have totally... <laughs> <laughs> busted your butt same thing only you get a d and lose your scholarship <laughs> <laughs> um i also went to community college by the way before starting um yeah that was that was also an interesting experience um i remember i met i, I met someone who was openly gay for the first time in community college um uh, in yeah. my choir 
Um, and that I remember just not really knowing how to make sense of that. Right. It was just like, okay, he's my friend. I don't know what else to, I don't, I guess we'll just won't talk about it. I think was generally the, the approach. Um, I just wasn't equipped at all. Um, yeah, yeah I, anyway. I, I know this, I feel the same way when I was in um, community. That was my first experience with a lot of different types of thoughts and beliefs. And for the most part, no, it was like, you also, I was made to think that you go out into the world and it's going to be like this scary place that wants to like tear apart your faith. Um, mm. And that was, I think I internalized it that way in some ways more than it was like Summit still. Ministries. <laughs> Summit Ministries? Summit Ministries? Do you guys, did either of you have to go through Summit Ministries? No, we had a Christian worldview program. Oh, I did a Christian worldview program. I don't know if it was through Summit uh, Summit Ministries, but I definitely had a, like a week long Christian worldview camp that I had to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's where we learn that it's a dangerous world out there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then you like meet people and they're just like, Oh, that's what you think. That's fine. And you're like, that's it. I don't have to, I don't have to defend this. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, so Hillsdale was a great place for me. I'm sorry. You didn't have a good experience. Um, but I loved it. Um, it was really, it was really appropriate for where I was at. I was coming from still a pretty sheltered experience and background and it was a great place for me to get grow and develop my capacity to handle new and different things. Um, but they came at me at a pace that was like, I could assimilate them, if that makes any sense. Um, and I stumbled into a philosophy class and didn't look back. I ended up being a philosophy and religion double major. Um, and it was, you know, it was definitely in philosophy class where I think I had my first crisis of faith, but it was also in philosophy class where I learned the tools I needed to make sense of faith in the modern world, right? And to ultimately, I think, um, live it with a kind of confidence um, that comes from not feeling uh, intimidated by secular ways of seeing the world, but able to sort of appreciate what they have to offer and also recognize their limits and what they can and actually can, what they can help us know better and what it is they actually can't speak about because they don't have any ability to have knowledge of. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really am grateful to Hillsdale and to some of the faculty there, especially Dr. James Stevens, who is my philosophy professor and, and mentor and um, Dr. Blum, um, Peter Blum, who was our sociology professor and uh, both were really helpful to me and in, in letting me ask the questions, not freaking out when I asked them, but also um, kind of supporting me with the ideas that I needed to, to come out with a pretty, a pretty robust faith in terms of the relationship between um, religion and science or religion and kind of a secular way of seeing the world. Um, and they did it without creating straw men of, of the of the science or the, or the sort of secular studies, which is, I think the problem with so much of the worldview seminars, right. Is they, they're like, Oh, Nietzsche is really scary. And then you read Nietzsche and you're like, actually, he had a really, a lot of really great things to say. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Right. Um, and so I was, 
yeah, I was really grateful to, to my Hillsdale time. Hillsdale also gave me a chance to get to know traditional Christianities. Um, a bunch of my friends at Hillsdale and I all ended up, well, they a lot of them ended up in traditional um, expressions of Christianity. I've got friends who are um, Eastern Orthodox priests and um, living uh, or Roman Catholics, right, who are all post-evangelicals um, who found a home in the kind of traditional faiths. So, yeah, you know, that's something that's I think all I've, I've been noticing is um, there's a shift. A lot of people who grew up evangelical that may find a way to maintain some sort of faith go a more traditional route, um, which is I find that really I mean, I find it fascinating for one. It seems like but they because we lacked it in a lot of ways, um, you know, our tra- it's really my only tradition was occasionally uh, once a month, if you w- woke up early enough for it before church, you would take communion um, and you would have like a Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve service. And there was so little that you were really um, connecting with on a traditional level um, that I think when people moved out, they speaking as someone who didn't have the traditional aspect, of course, like for me, there was nothing to really miss or you could easily like, just, you don't lose a lot by not participating in it anymore. And I, I never really found a way to connect with tradition all that well. Um, so even like, even at this point in my life, being part of a church that tries to, you know, follow like the Christian calendar and, and they, it's still a, it's not really like a mainline church uh, in that way but they'll have they'll they'll bring in plenty of the christian tradition and it's still like i, th- I still feel like i don't even know how to connect with it um mm. and but it's weird because i want to uh and i want to be able to feel connected to it and so i don't it, yeah. it's a tough experience when you want it and you can see the the value in it for certain people um and it doesn't to, like to it's just working. not have it yeah it's a weird feeling i guess yeah, totally. Um, I totally know what you're talking about. Um, I also feel like it's really strange, right, that, you know, our parents' generation fled the traditional churches and started these evangelical spaces, right? And then their kids, those ones who were switched on and still trying to, like, live a, a life of faith in, in modernity, a lot of them are running back to the traditional churches. And it's it's a little ironic, Um but I often feel like even the evangelical churches really do a great job of helping people get their love switched on, right? To get like get, getting passionate about being connected to God and like living your life in line with a story, a really great story that's much bigger than you, right? Connecting your life to something greater than yourself. They're great at getting people switched on. Um, but I don't think they're so great at the intellectual honesty piece. Um, and I think that those of us who yeah. kind of got switched on to the to the story, right, and fell in love with the story, essentially, um, we needed, when we went to college and, and started doing, studying more, we, we felt like to be intellectually honest, we actually needed to root our faith tradition in something that had a longer was a bigger conversation and a longer conversation than just something that you know was invented in the 50s or 60s 
Um, yeah. 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 And it seems to turn into something you a lot of the people I know who I don't know, I, I, I don't want this to sound dismissive depending of certain types of people, depending on where they end up. But um, the people I know, at least when I was in youth group and who were part of like the evangelical culture, a lot of the ones who really were gravitated towards like a sincere faith had um, are the ones that I, at least in my experience who have done a lot of like the leaving um, they, as they tried to like grapple with their faith and, and try to have a robust faith. And um, the intellect, like you mentioned, the intellectual honesty aspect of evangelicalism is um, that that's where a lot, like a roadblock for a lot of people. But then even, you know, when it comes to the way that they, do biblical interpretation and you're like you start reading it because you take it seriously and you're like let me read this if i if i care about my faith let me read the bible and like immediately you get to genocide and you're like i don't i'm really not sure if this is a i don't know what to do with this and right and actually that's when it's so useful to have traditional commentaries to help you make sense of those things right this is one of the things i always say to to contemporary jews i'm like look i'm a rabbinic jew and it's, you know why I'm committed to being a rabbinic Jew? Because the rabbis put genocide beyond use. I can't, we can't ever retrieve those passages and use them to justify killing people. It's just not, not allowed, right? The way that rabbinic Judaism has read those passages, it's cut and dry. There's no more, there's no application of this any further. Um, yeah. And I'm really glad that I can be part of a tradition where I have really wise people before me who um, who are authoritative, right? And can, and can kind of, um, help, uh, put, put boundaries on some of the worst proclivities of the hum- of human nature, um, and not allow mm-hmm. the faith tradition that I'm a part of to, to support those. Um, there's more work to do, right? Cause humans are, 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 you know, they, what is it? We have the capacity to be both a beast and a God, Right, where we have this profound capacity for um, for great um, great goodness, um, but also a capacity for great evil, and um, I'm really glad that I've inherited something that I think helps me learn wisdom. But I also know that I want to contribute to it. Right, I want my voice to contribute to it to continue um, that conversation, so that the wisdom can you know get passed on to my kids' generation and to the generations after them. Yeah, I love that. What was what started so what was your drift into uh when how'd you like kind of brush up against judaism in a way that made you feel like you could move in that direction how'd that all start for you yeah um it was it was all it was all about it's all about relationships i feel like in my story right it's all about who i knew so i'd fallen in love with anglican liturgy um, my junior year and senior year of college, I'd started going to morning prayer um, at school, and um, mostly because I needed a ride. Originally, it happened because I needed a ride to campus, and I didn't have a car. And I was living off campus, and my roommate was going to morning prayer. So she's like, "Sure, you can come with me, but you have to get up for morning prayer." And I drug myself there day after day just so I didn't have to walk in the snow. Um, but it got to me. And after going day after day, I just, I, I, it set me up. It set me up every day for a better, a better attitude and a better way of being and uh, a better presence of mind and 
really feel like liturgical space for me kind of, it, it, it makes that, it creates that space where, where my mind is like kind of blending in all sorts of weird ways. It's like my thoughts kind of drift, but they're housed within this liturgy and like different words will jump out. And it, I don't know, it's just this amazing kind of mental space that it it created. And I fell in love with it. And so I thought, you know, at the time I was like, all right, I'm, I'm all on this Anglican train. I'm, that's where I'm headed. Um, and I met this guy named Steven Slater, who is my husband. And he was, he had had a crisis of faith and he was talking about it and he would not shut up about it. Um, and so we started talking about his crisis and I mean, I can't even tell countless hours, like hundreds of hours, right. Of the same issues over and over again, all of us were trying to solve, you know, his problem. Um, and, and what it really boiled down to was, um, something called what, what something that Christian theologians call supersessionism. Um, and it's this idea that the church has superseded the Jewish people, right? It's replaced the, the church is now the people of God and the Jewish people have, have been abandoned by God. And Stephen was just like, yeah, but it says right here, these are my people for like, these are the commandments that I have for you to do forever. What do you mean? God comes around later. It's like, ah, never mind. It's like, that doesn't work. You can't, that doesn't work. You can't do that. Um, and interestingly, that's what prompted my second crisis of faith. So it had this sort of secular religious crisis of faith in like freshman, sophomore years. Right. And then my senior year is when, and post just post college is when I have the like, oh my gosh, maybe this whole new Testament thing is just wrong. Like you can't have later revelation contradicting earlier revelation. Like that's just like, that's like one of the key rules. You can't break that one. And if later revelation comes along later and says, this is never mind, just joking, right? You know that it's false. And so then everything imploded again. Um, and so I set off on a journey to like figure it out. Um, and I applied to do a master's in Jewish studies, um, and got in to this Jewish studies program. And, um, and then I just kept studying and the, for many years I studied thinking, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And then I'm going to get to the place where I can be Christian and I'll be happy to be Christian and it'll be fine. And it was only in the last kind of two years before the conversion that I realized, oh, I can see how I could be Christian again, but I don't want to. Like I've fallen in love with this spiritual path that I've been like looking at and studying. Um, And I'm a little uncomfortable with the whole worshiping Jesus thing now. Maybe that's idolatry, not really sure. Um, And then I think what it finally came down to was a moment when I was reading the New Testament again, one of the gospels, and I, I'd spent a lot of time studying Second Temple Jewish history, so like the context for the, the Gospels. And I think the moment for me was a realization that I didn't think Jesus would want to be worshipped as God. And I was just like, I can't do that anymore. I just can't do it anymore. Wow. That's so yeah. fascinating. I think it's hard for people to I, – I feel like that's such a hard thing to – I mean – I want to 
jump back to something you said about the concept of supersessionism, which is, I mean, I, I always got that with a caveat of like trying to somehow use like language to make it sound like the Jewish people were still important to God. But, um, and I think but only I might in this even... very small way, they have to move back to the land of Israel so that the, so Jesus can come back. Right. Yeah. And then there was an exceptionally high respect and elevation for uh, Messianic Jews um, because that was like, I mean, you were really like the, the right kind of Christian at that point. Cause it's not only in your Jewish history, but now you've seen the light and you've come to know yeah. Jesus as the Messiah. So uh, it's so interesting to think because I mean, the world you're ingrained, like we're brought up in, it's like, it's so centered. I mean, of course, Christianity is centered around Jesus, but it's like to, to be able to, what most people who come to the conclusion at a point in their life that maybe Jesus isn't the, wasn't the quote unquote Messiah. And of course that word could probably use a lot of time spent unpacking. So, but we don't need to, I think we'll just go with whatever people are thinking and assume that they have an understanding of what we mean in general, but they, to backtrack on that without losing your faith completely is, is unusual. Um, So I think that I, I feel like I have a lot of questions about that, but I don't even really know how to articulate them other than like, it has to be a slow progression because you're not just like, there's so much wrapped up in Jesus as our moral teacher, as our, as the, the guiding light for everything that you do as a Christian, that to be able to, to backtrack that and, and, and then be able to progress past, um, in in a wisdom tradition with like past just like what you were presented with i i i I don't know how to ask you to expand upon that i guess but that's i'm that's i'm trying to ask that (laughs) i hear you thank you um you know it's um it's a profound process of deconstruction and reconstruction for sure i think what you're you know you're pointing to i think you know, like I said earlier, I had already bought, I had already decided that the story that, that there was a kind of, there was a great conversation I wanted to be a part of that had gone on way before me and I hoped would go on after me and that it included this story that was in the script, you know, in the scriptures. And when the second sort of the second half, right, of the scriptural story kind of imploded, um, I, I had to go back and kind of ask well, how does, if this isn't how the story continues, how does the story continue? Um, and I spent a long time trying to keep, trying to keep the Christian story as a viable option. Um, but all along I was learning this other one. And I think I remember at one point saying like, like I'm, I'm kind of ruined for God. It's like, I don't know. It's like, your first love and you can never get over it. Right. And like, you try to walk away and you're like, but this relationship is bad for me and I just need to leave. And you like, just can't get over it. I felt a little bit like that at at certain points in this journey where I was like, I just wish I could walk away from this whole stupid thing. Right. Like everyone else is like getting degrees and getting jobs. And I'm like still stuck on like how this story works and does it still work or not. Right. Um, and, and so I like totally get why people just are like, okay, I'm done. You know, um, I tried to be done. 
but I couldn't quite get away from it. Um, I'm really grateful that I didn't now, although I won't have a very good retirement bank account. I'm just going to say that starting work when you're 40 is like really late to start to start saving for 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 retirement. I'm just going to tell you now, if you have any money, put it away. Start saving. <laughs> Um, (laughs) sorry, tangent, but like, seriously, if you're in your twenties and you're hearing this, like put $10 away in your retirement savings account every month, start somewhere, man. Um, Take that Dave Ramsey course that you took at your evangelical (laughs) church to heart and put some money away. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, you know, it was a long, it was a long process. I, I spent a lot of time going to church and synagogue. That, that was weird, you know, like Friday night services at synagogue, Saturday morning services at synagogue, Sunday morning church, um, a lot of religion in the weekends. Um, and, um, and, you know, my husband and I both kept studying. So I did a master's degree at Oxford University in Jewish studies. And then I moved with my husband to Israel and he did a master's degree at the Hebrew University in Second Temple Jewish studies. And we lived there for four years. And um, it was at the end of that time that I ended up going to yeshiva, which is like a traditional learning, Jewish traditional learning space where I was like studying traditional Jewish texts from morning till night, like 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. And it was after that time in yeshiva that I decided I was ready to jump in. Um, But I knew a lot by then, right? It was seven years of study Um, and it was a long process. Wow. And over that time, even by the end, I had actually found what I felt was a really authentic form of Christianity that wasn't supersessionist, meaning other theologians have thought this before me, right? If I had just been raised in a slightly different Christianity, this wouldn't have even been a question for me because I wouldn't have been taught supersessionism to begin with. And I remember when I like picked up a book that was written in the seventies and I was like, damn it, this book answers all my questions. Why did it take me five years to find it? Right. Because like, that's just the vagaries of our own story, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I, so in the end, when I made the jump, I made the jump from a place of not saying like, oh, I can't see any reason why Christians would be Christian, but rather it was from a place of like, I get how that's plausible. That's a plausible option, the Christian story, but it's not my path anymore. I really need to learn what this path has to teach me. And so I really joined up because I wanted the spiritual practices that Judaism had to offer. The like Sabbath and the kosher and the, I, like all that stuff that like Christians are like, yay, we don't have to do that stuff. I was like, yeah, I want that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I That's so funny. That is so, I remember as a kid actually stating like, I'm so glad we don't have to do that stuff. And now I'm like, there is, of course there's like, you can't, I, I almost feel like as a kid, in the, maybe it's just an evangelical or Christian home, maybe any Christian home, but like kids who grow up in it, it be, one, it's just as pretty natural and normal. Like the amount of, I think that's one of the things that's really amazing to me about your journey is um, it it's obviously has to be authentic because there's a lot of work to do. Like, uh, you know, I, I remember trying to get people to convert to Christianity and all you're trying to do is get them to just agree to a couple, like uh, just like a couple of points. And then you're like, you're Jesus in, this is, is God. Great. He, you're a sinner and he died for your, you know, he died for your sins and now you're forgiven. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, it's so, 
there is so little to be done to get and then it's just like everyone gets just real excited that you know you add some to the numbers you could have someone show up to your church and then they just sign up they want to get baptized there's so little to to know and learn and understand that like and and they might argue that that's the beginning of your journey sure but i think that there's a lot to be said for the work that you have put in to as a person of faith to to because there's so it's one of those there's more it's when you don't grow up that way like it seems more challenging like and of course once it maybe becomes part of your life but that's the point right you're still you're you're intentionally having these things that uh, function as reminders of who you are and what you're doing and why it's important and of course i might have misspoke or and incorrect on some of my assumptions there so maybe correct the record. You did a great job but i also want to just say that like it's sometimes harder to grow up in it too, right? I think especially in our day and age where individuality, right? And the challenging path, right? We, we commend people who go on the hard path. I think sometimes it's harder to be an inheritor, to grow up in it and to say, yeah, I'm still what my grandparents were. I'm still what my parents were. And I didn't, I didn't go out and look at every other option out there. I inherited this, right? And I, and I dug the wells of my father's. This is, um, reference to Isaac, right? In the story of Abraham, Abraham's the courageous one. He goes out, starts a new faith, right? He, he steps out in this, like, to, he hears a God say to him, let me take you to a land that I will show you. And then he just walks out on everything he knew before in a time when there were no cell phones and no Google GPS, right? It's not like he had a map of where he was headed. Right. Um, and, and he's the courageous one. And, and what's with Isaac, right? Like, and there's something pretty amazing, I think, in our own day and age to, to read Isaac's story. And it says in the Torah and the scriptures that Isaac um, redug the wells of his father. Um, you know, he, the wells, you know, the wells crumbled a little bit. They got silty and gross. And he had to just go in and redig the same spot. And I, I do think there's something to be said for that too. And, and as a person who, whose journey more profound, more profoundly connects with the Abraham story, right. In terms of like, as a model, I feel like I'm much more of an Abraham kind of story. Um, I recognize that like, I'm not giving my children the option to go on the Abraham journey. I'm asking them to be Isaac. And how do I, how do I support them in that? Right. How do I make sure that that story is also commended and seen as courageous? Um, and how do I give them the love that I was given? Right? Like I was given, I was raised in a community that loved God. That was like the end all be all of who and what we were. I would say that's not the Jewish community I live in today. Right. Judaism today does not reflect that level of you know, commitment to God. There's a lot of folks who are, but it's also a, it's also an ethnicity, right? And there's a lot of folks who are still members who don't really even believe anymore, right? And um, so you don't get that kind of intensity that I had as a child when I was part of an intentional community. So I worry sometimes for my kids and will I be able to give them what I had? That's one of the concepts that I think is, interesting about it is that within and it's because it's so heavily tied to tradition and there's 
a lot comes with that. Um, there's a lot of, I've noticed not in any extreme capacity, but, um, you know, when you're grow up Christian and you're like, I'm not Christian anymore, you just stop doing Christian things, but that's not often, I mean, it might, it's probably the case for plenty of Jewish people, but it, it's also like, but it seems like they're not even doing with the same reluctance as like going to church on Christmas with your parents because they're going to be disappointed or they'll guilt trip you into doing it. If you don't like, you know, it's just like, yeah, of course I'm going to show up for these, these traditions. This is part of who I am. And even if you like, don't believe in God anymore, there's still like that participation in the tradition. And I think I love that, but I also don't know um, if that's annoying for people of faith. So I don't, I'm, but that's because I mean, it's where both, I'm at, right? It's both. Yeah. It's totally both. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, it's fine. Uh, it's, I was just saying that's because I think where I'm at, I it's like the the belief, the general belief in academic ascent is the least interesting part of faith to me, um, which is why I, Christianity works for me. But I don't, you know, I don't hold on to it any as any sort of ultimate or absolute truth uh, it's more like there's aspects of it that i resonate with there's plenty of it that is in historic tradition historic christianity that i think is useless and i've also i'm well informed of the atrocities that the christian faith has or the church has committed like there's a lot of there's a lot to you know there's a lot of skeletons in the christian closet um but you know it's it's it just, I think I want to even to your point about passing something on to your children is like, that's the home my kids are being raised in. I think the difference, at least with where my family was at when they were raising us was like the the stakes were so high when raising children in a Christian church, especially because, you know, if they left it, they might end up in hell. And that's a very scary thing for a parent. If that's like a, that's a motivator, right. but you know, as a, as a parent who's trying to raise children of faith, which I'm doing a terrible job of it, by the way, because of how much I don't know how to do it. Uh, I often just don't talk about it and hope that they'll figure some of it out by just being around me, which is not going to be the case. But um, it's like that the stakes are lower for me. I just like the values that I get from it and the way it allows me to be in the world. If they can find that way of being and be a like a product, not just like a pay your taxes, don't be a dick kind of person, but like an actual like, contributor to building a better world like whatever language or model or framework they build around that is is okay um but i'm not tied to a tradition as much that that has the same type of impact so um i can see why from your perspective you you or for people of the jewish faith that there's a little bit more at, at stake in wanting that framework to work for their kids yeah yeah, I mean, there's you. I think you asked me in an email, like, what are some of the differences between Judaism and Christianity? And I would say this is one key difference um, with with a lot of people's experiences. And I think in Christianity, where the cen- central focus, especially in the contemporary world, is on ass- an intellectual assent to certain ideas, and Judaism certainly asks you to ha- hold certain ideas. But if you don't, it doesn't make that mean that you're out, right? Um, Sometimes I tell people in my intro to Judaism classes, I say, you know, in Judaism, you can check. It's like Hotel California. You can check in, but you can never leave. Right. The <laughs> internal understanding of Judaism, right, is that, yeah, people can join us, 
but you can't get out and you're born into this relationship with God. And it's not a relationship that you are individually having with God. It's a relationship that an entire people across time and space are having with God. And so if you spend a portion of your life, like just being like, F that, I don't want anything to do with it. Right. I don't care about this at all. Like you're not out. Sorry. Like from our, from, from the perspective of like us people, us Jewish people, we still claim you. Right. And you can wander in your, and your story isn't over yet. Right. And you can wander in at any point. Right. And you can come pray with us and you can be part of the community again. Um, on Yom Kippur, we, we say in the liturgy um, that we are, we gather to pray with a bunch of sinners. Like you're all welcome. Everybody's welcome to join us um, to come back, right? Yeah. No matter what, no, no matter what your age is, and um, and I do think that you know, for a lot of Jews, that that creates a certain amount of guilt too, right? They're like, oh man, I'm Jewish and I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Right? There's a lot of Jewish guilt. I think Catholics have a similar-ish feeling. Sometimes you get a lot of Catholic guilt, um, but it can also it can also be um, it can also be a really good thing, right? It can, that like, I can have a crisis of faith and not feel like everything's gone and I'm going to hell, right? It's like, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. You're at that stage right it's, now. It happens. sounds like a better alternative to, it sounds like a better alternative than excommunication. So, which is what a lot of people experience when they have a shift in faith. So that's. <laughs> yeah, or getting shunned like I had when I was a kid. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Did, did your, um, commitment to Judaism and, 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 um, conversion, was that of any point of contention with family? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you talk Everybody, about I mean, you don't have, I don't know if you talk yeah. about that or if you get into that, but sure, I'm, I'm, I'm happy curious. To, happy to tell you about it. Okay. I think different fam, like, you know, each family member had their own way of responding. Um, my mom stayed in bed for a week and cried. Um, and then wow. she got out of bed and she enrolled in her local seminary to study Hebrew. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, and, um, and actually now she, and she, you know, she studied a lot and, and came to a place, you know, to a point where, you know, where she, you know, she no longer thinks I'm going to hell. So that's good. Um, actually, she said to me that during that week that she was crying, she actually said to God, um, God, if, if, if you're not going to take Bethany to heaven, I don't want to go there either. Wow. So, you know, it was a pretty, it was pretty rough, um, little patch for her, for sure. Um, my dad had a rough patch with it too. He didn't talk to me much about it. But when we lived in New York City, my husband and I briefly spent a summer living in the Satmar Hasidic community, which is like an ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in Williamsburg. And um, while we were there, my dad visited and there was this family that had kind of adopted us and they hosted a special meal for my dad. And he was so amazed by the way that that family loved each other and the way that they expressed like respect to one another and to him that after that experience, the next morning he said, 
I see what you see in it. Like I, I get what you see in it. And he said, I'm, I'm proud of you. And that took him about three years um, from the time that I converted to, to the having that experience. Um, but th- things got a lot better for both of my parents over time. Um, my in-laws still struggle. Yeah, that, it's, I mean, it's such a, a big, uh, it's, it's, I can imagine that taking, I mean, I think your family's response to it is really beautiful that, I mean, your mom's response to it is impressive. Like, like she got all of her morning out of the way in just a week and then was just like, all right, let's figure this out. But, um, (laughs) so, yeah. Yeah. So my mom lives across the street now and takes care of my kids and reads them Hebrew Bible stories and, uh, and comes to synagogue to watch them play in the back, you know? So yeah, she's, she's awesome. She's really, she's found a way to, to make sense of it and to still have her own robust faith, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. And very healthy. I think that's, I mean, that's the dream really. I feel like, uh, I feel like everyone just wants their, I mean, in general, everyone, but maybe at least their families to just appreciate and respect the path that they're on. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. I mean, if I can throw out like a, a sort of an off topic question. Please. Um, I feel like I haven't heard enough from you, Casey. I was just starting to feel bad about that. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, I know like growing up in, uh, in my church and the, the strain of Christianity that I've always been a part of, they have a really weird relationship, not necessarily with Judaism, but with the, the state of Israel. And there's like this strange, like, uh, it's, it's like a thing where you, you, you have to support Israel and, and nobody, they don't really explain what they mean by that. It usually just means like whatever the Israeli government wants, that's what we should support because God, I don't know. I don't know. Is that, is that, does that same sort of dynamic exist in the, Jewish community, I just, I'm so baffled by that. I don't know what to make of it, but it's, it is very clear. I mean, like when I was, uh, after college, Glenn Beck had like this whole media campaign he did called I stand with Israel. I I don't know what, I don't know what it's about. I just, I'm curious if that's something that you have experience with. Oh my gosh. I have so much to say on this topic and it's like, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, So I'll start with like one of maybe the smallest pieces, which is what does it mean to stand with Israel? Great question, right? What does it mean to to support America, right? Do you support America when you um, take care of the homeless population? Do you support America when you, you know, lobby for legislation um, to, to make it easier for people to immigrate? Is that supporting, is that standing with America? Is that supporting America? I mean, I think it is, right? Um, So in the same way, right, what does it mean to stand with Israel, right? Do you stand with Israel by supporting everything that every elected government thinks is a good idea? Or can you stand with Israel by saying, actually, this current elected government, I think, has a lot of really stupid ideas. And I actually like the ideas that some other people who are also Israelis who are also Israeli politicians are saying, and they might be in the minority right now in terms of their government, but guess what? Culture change happens. 
and I'm going to stand with Israel by supporting civil society, right? Um, there and the and the and the ability to to protest the current government, right? And the current government's actions. I mean, I think that's standing with Israel, right? It's it's for the good of the country that it should have a robust civil society, right? Um, so this whole idea of like stand with Israel, I think, is just annoying and and just also just really is it, simple and simplistic. Is that a picture of uh, Netanyahu behind you? On the wall there? That is a picture of my husband's grandfather, who was a German farmer who moved to the United States and settled in, in a tiny town outside, an hour outside of New York City and uh, had a sixth grade education and um, built his home with his own bare hands. I was close. <laughs> if it was multiple choice, I probably could have gotten it. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, I, um, uh, yeah, the stand with Israel thing is, is, is frustrating, but, um, but in terms of like other questions about Christian Zionism, I mean, I think it's it's a fascinating history. Mm. Christian Zionists, actually, you could argue that there were Christian Zionists before there were Jewish Zionists. That's really, yeah, yeah. There were Christians who were, who were, who had developed a new way of thinking about prophecy and began to believe that there were prophecies that needed to be fulfilled that hadn't yet been fulfilled and started advocating for Jews to return to the Holy land in order to get the prophecy mill mill running, right? Like to get, get God's timeline going. Um, and they were, yeah. they were Zionists before they were Jews even interested in Zionism. Um, so they have, you know, there's a long and storied history, Christian Zionism and you know, it's going through a current phase. I sometimes, I think that as a, as a Jewish person, the one thing that really worries me is when I feel like Christians get co-opted to fight internal Jewish battles for us. And so that's something that worries me. Explain that more. Right. Well, like, the Jewish community has its own internal rifts and questions about how to engage with Israel, the state and policy. Right. And I, and it's there, there are those, it's a very robust conversation within Israel and it's a robust conversation in the United States. And I feel like, you know, Christians often will show up to interfaith dialogue or like engage with Jews because they really actually want to talk about theology. They want to talk about faith. They want to talk about the biblical stories and right. And they have questions about, you know, the Jewish roots of Christianity and the Jews show up to get them to, to try to convince the Christians to side with them about some Israeli, like some issue about Israel. It's just like very, it's like not a, no mutuality in that relationship. Um, and, and so I, I sometimes am troubled by what Jewish Christian dialogue space looks like because of that. And honestly, it's a huge reason why I went into comparative theology is I, I was like, look, I want to be the Jew who shows up and is willing to talk theology with you people. Cause that's what you're here for. And that's what I'm willing to come and be there for. Whereas a lot of the Jews who show up in those spaces are really uncomfortable with theology. They don't have the skills to talk theology. So they change the, they change the subjects, right? And they try to, they try to talk about what they're comfortable talking about. Wow. 
That's all very, very interesting. I, I... If, if, if one of you wants to tell me about the Christian message, I feel like I'm okay with that, right? I'm like, hey, someone wants to preach to me about Jesus? Lay it on me, man. Like, been there, done that. Like, I've heard that message. I don't feel like, I don't feel threatened, you know, when you tell me about the fact that Jesus loves me, right? And then, like, let me tell you why, you know, I live my life differently and why I don't think about Jesus the way you do. And, you know, let's, let's move on from there. But I think a lot of a lot of Jews don't feel comfortable in that space. I would bet Christians and some Christians would feel threatened maybe by you, though, simply because that's a scare. They don't like when um, people change their mind about they don't. I shouldn't say they. That's a sweeping generalization, but it makes Apostates. people uncomfortable when you yeah. yeah when you change your mind about Jesus. I, I think probably in general because it's like a discomfort. It. it kind of shines a light on maybe some of their insecurities of I don't have you ever experienced that in conversations with Christians? I hear that. And it 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 honestly it's part of why I've never done an interview like this. Part of why I've always controlled my own story. Hmm. I actually had a really good friend of mine who wanted to do who was creating a some Christian like small group material and he wanted to highlight different people's spiritual journeys. And, you know, he had a Hindu and a Muslim and a different types of Christians. And he wanted me to be the Jewish voice. And I, at the time, wasn't, I wasn't ready because I was really worried about the way that losing control of this, of who heard my story might impact my ability to be effective. Um, Because you're right. Of course, it would make Christians uncomfortable to talk to a Jew who used to be a Christian. Like, I get that. Um, that's why I try to very authentically say to them, I got, I, I see why it's a plausible way of making sense of the scriptures. It's just not the path I wanted. So when I tried, when I do explain this to my Christian friends, I try to explain it kind of like, um, by, by analogy to how Catholics think about priests, right? So if you're a Catholic, you can live as a Catholic and be a good Catholic and you don't need to be a priest. But if you choose to be a priest, there's a whole bunch of things that you can't do, right? That a Catholic, regular Catholic can do, getting married for one, right? But other things too, right? And and it's a special role that you play in the in the community. And you're not a better Catholic because you're a priest. You're just a different kind of Catholic. And I feel a little bit like that when I try to talk to Christians is I'm like, I'm like, look, we don't agree exactly on how to understand Jesus, but I don't think that I'm like better at serving God than you are. I'm just doing it differently. I don't know. We'll we, see how that goes over. We touched on uh, some of that when we talked to uh, John Steingard, Sam, you know, he talked a little bit about his experience with Judaism and stuff and just that. Uh, it's just more welcoming of, of different perspectives on certain things. You know, there's not like these, the, the, the brand that we grew up with was such a, there were so many like black ball issues where it's like, if you're, you know, you have to sign a doctrinal, a doctrinal statement saying that you agree to this, that these are the terms by which, you know, faith, you know, the faith functions and stuff. And if you don't like, well, you're just not in the club. And there's no, we agree to disagree on some of those things. It's you're in or you're out. And if you're out, uh, you can't hang out here. 
Yeah, it's like you'll it's which is why you have so many denominations within Christianity, like thousands of denominations because every time someone has one different idea. I mean, there are churches whose denominations like their theology differs by like maybe a point or two. And it's like, <laughs> because every single time it's like, well, this is what we believe here. If it doesn't work for you, go start your own thing somewhere else. And then they say, okay. And um, I think that's uh, something that is appealing and beautiful about Judaism. And what I wish Christianity or other, I mean, I, I don't have enough uh, knowledge about other faith traditions to know if they do or not. But uh, even just people in general, I think it outside of faith, I think Judaism still models well Um and of course, as an outsider looking, I'm sure there's some vitriolic disagreement, but but at least they're still there, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, that it, it, I feel like that it's predicated or built upon um, being able to disagree, um, in at least in some way. So maybe uh, give your two cents on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, there's definitely um, there's definitely an idea that. Um, in Judaism, that you know, that these and these are the words of the living God. This is this is something that shows up in the in the rabbinic. It's a rabbinic saying that gets that gets thrown around as a summary. It's like one person has this opinion, one person has this opinion. They're diametrically opposed, and the answer from God is these and these are the words of the living God. Right? Like somehow both are true, and there's definitely a way in which. I feel like Judaism has a, has a robust tradition of managing to affirm contradictory statements and ideas, um, and and to do that like actually in, with an in, with with some intellectual honesty, which I know is it's, I'm summarizing this in a way that probably doesn't make any sense if you haven't seen it in, in a particular example, but but I promise it works. It's really cool. I love it. Um, but the piece that um, the piece that I I also hesitate. Like you're, so you're, I both want to say, yes, you're right. And I also want to say, we have to be careful to compare apples with apples, right? Judaism is just as diverse as Christianity. And there are Jewish communities and Jewish sources that would say some pretty nasty things about other people and would, would, and, and that are much more insular and, and, and structured and conform and require a con, like, con, con, like conforming to their way of things, right? It's not as if, um, every form of Judaism is just, you know, comfortable with difference in, in all areas. Um, there are still, you know, there's still third rails in our community, things that if you say or do, a lot of people are going to disagree with you and you're not going to feel very welcome. Um, so it's not as if we're as open as, I don't know, as, as we maybe give the impression of being. Um, we do have, we do have issues, right? That, that, people fight about. But I think that the the biggest difference is really this issue of, as uh, this idea of a family, right? Is that we all might be fighting with each other, but we're still family, right? And you might not feel welcome at the next family potluck, but you're still family, right? And so that's the piece that I think allows for maybe a greater sense of diversity. Um, yeah, all that makes sense. I thanks for clarifying that. Um, and I feel like I've probably gone, maybe even unintentionally, given the impression that everyone's just on the same page and it's okay to disagree. And there's no so you even mentioning that there are the, the third rails and the, the hot button issues that might not be the ones to poke is 
is um, I'm glad you clarified that because I think that uh, what I think is for like even progressive Christians, like there is a there's a desire to grapple, like to take like maybe that the good aspect of what other people are doing well and just unilaterally apply it to say like I wish like Christians were basically just like them, but I guess we'll keep Jesus like to, because there's so obviously a lot of raw, there's a lot of infighting within this group. So it's like, um, so maybe that what you said, like the difference between being family or not is Christians are quick to say, like, it's kind of like the no true Scotsman fallacy is just like, you're not a real Christian if X, Y, and Z. And that is quickly thrown around. You don't subscribe to this belief. Now you're out. You're not a real Christian. And so it's, uh, and I think maybe we touched on this earlier, not maybe we did, is that like, it's about a way of being more than like being Jewish isn't just about like checking belief boxes. Um, and I don't think being Christian is either, but that's what makes me not a Christian to some people. So that's fine. Um, but, I think you're right. And actually, I think that tra- more traditional Christianities make have more space for that. Right. For that for for that very reality that being Christian is also not about just checking belief boxes. But, you know, the particular form of Christianity that we've iterated in modernity is super obsessed in with belief boxes. Um, It hasn't always been that way. And I don't think it always will be that way. Yeah, that's I like that perspective. I'll try to have that one more. (laughs) (laughs) That positive mental outlook. So, um, okay. Here, okay, I got a, I got a good one for you. All right. Great. So, uh, like figures that you brag on in certain communities, right? Catholics have Mel Gibson. It'd be like, you know, Mel Gibson's a Catholic. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. You know, Christians, we had Stephen Baldwin. Uh, not near as cool, but that 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 was ours. I know you guys have Ben Shapiro and he's probably a big deal to you. What, what are, do you have any others? <laughs> All right. So what you just called, what you just asked for was something called Jew hooing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually really bad at it. I mean, I used to live in LA and I would walk down the streets of Hollywood and I swear I passed a lot of famous people and I actually had no idea who they were. So I'm just like, you know, kid who grew up like without a television. I'm still like, I'm still a little behind the times That's on true. all that famous people stuff. <laughs> That's <laughs> cool. We can stick with Ben really Shapiro. That's up. fine. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's Sandy Koufax. I'll just throw that one out there. <laughs> um, I don't yeah, even know who yeah, that is. Barbara I don't know who that is. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll give really? you that one. No, no, we know Barbara. We know Barb. <laughs> you don't know who Sandy Koufax is? Okay, look him up. Go, no. He's on Wikipedia. Um, um, yeah, no, I'm really not the right Jew to be asking that question to. Sorry. Um, well, too you much changed of a our lives with Jew hooings, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting you, a name okay. to that concept. Is there a... Uh, like there's got to be some like uh, controversial figures in modern Judaism. Like, you know, we have uh, Franklin Graham, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. Like, do you guys have any of those that are kind of like a controversial but prominent figure within the community? Bernie Sanders? 
Hey, that's oh, interesting. Oh, okay. I can see why he'd make the list. Ben Shapiro? Yeah. <laughs> yeah ben Sh- Man, <laughs> Depends on how, who you ask, I guess. How, how right? many times is she going to shout out Ben Shapiro in this episode? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, uh, uh, certainly, certainly there are controversial figures. And if you were talking like in the Israeli context, right, there's some seriously controversial figures. Um. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely people who say some pretty nasty stuff and they think they're representing Judaism. Um, I, it's like sometimes you don't even want to like name names, right? Because you don't want to like bring any attention to these people. But um, um, there was a guy who, you know, thought that he was, you know, doing what God wanted by going into a mosque and killing a bunch of murdering a bunch of people. Right. In in Hebron. Um, and uh, his name was Baruch Goldstein. He was an American Jew who made Aliyah and moved to Israel. And um, and now there are people who who think that he's a hero and a martyr. And they have built a really fancy grave to him um, right outside of Hebron. Um, so, you know, there are definitely people who are Jewish who say um, who say who, who use Judaism to teach things that are that I don't support at all and are and are kind of are fundamentally illiberal right in the sort of classical sense of liberal yeah right um and uh and I actually think that you know as a Jew I can argue against them using Judaism um right I can say no you're not living Jewish values um but right that's that's part of what it is to be in a conversation um with other people who also you know think that they know your tradition um, they can disappoint yeah. you in really big ways. I certainly didn't mean to, to, uh, sorry, <laughs> take the, I took the it dark to direction. I'm I sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. We went from Don't like worry. something really Christians take it to terrorism plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that just doesn't jump out at us because you know, that we just don't have those in Christianity, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no one who ever said kill those people in the name of our god right yeah you guys never mm. had that problem certainly not the guy who founded the college i graduated from <laughs> um, <Ooh. laughs> oh speaking of your college i really wish my husband had been able to come on to, to to talk with you guys because he actually went to your college once and oh, um wow. and and uh visited for a lecture of the president um and booed him from the seats Oh, Which I just I want to love, shake his hand. but I wish he was on here to tell you that story. <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny. like a little act of protest. He drove all yeah, the way just there. Yeah, just a little one. I think it was, I think it, was, it was on something. It was it was on this really profound point um, that he was making, which was that Jesus, um, when he turned water into wine the, at the wedding of Cana, it wasn't really wine that he was turning it into. Yeah, I think that was what elicited a boo from my husband. <laughs> That is amazing. <laughs> that is a constant, continuous joke amongst us. Is that explanation? It's so funny and insane. It's like so many mental and linguistic gymnastics need to be done to get to that. It's wild. Uh, well, <laughs> Bethany, <laughs> thanks. I we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Uh, I feel like there's a million things we can get into, but we've already taken up a good bit of your time. So. Thank you 
so much for talking with us, sharing with us, and uh, even correcting some of our maybe uh, misconceptions here. So thanks for the honesty and the wonderful camaraderie of this conversation. It was it was really a joy. Yeah. If you have anything that you feel like you want to say, uh, anything that you felt like you didn't get to or missed that go, you can wrap it up. I guess one thing I would say is that, um, having gone on a long spiritual journey, um, there are ways in which I feel most deeply at home when I get to hang out with other post evangelicals. And, uh, it's fun to get to do that again, even in, even if we have to do it over, over the computer. So thank you. That's what I, we say that a lot. Cause like, it, even if I mentioned it probably in our first couple episodes, but it's like, if you met, if I was at a bar and I met someone, not that I'm going to bars these days, but if I was, and I met someone and you found out that you grew up in an evangelical environment, you would, you could close the bar down. Like you yep. just, there's so much to talk about. A lot of it's, I mean, there's stuff to get into. That's, I mean, there's good, there's bad. There's just so many funny stories and like niche experiences that, I mean, I think even grow, I think even if I talk to my parents about it, they're like, yeah, I don't know. We were just doing what we thought was right at the time, but that is like some of it's just goofy and we can laugh at it and like, and that's fine. So we try to like even keep the, the humor about it pretty light, even though, I mean, the things that need to be glaringly critiqued as we're more than happy to do that, but sure. the experience and through line for people of who grew up that way, it's just like, it doesn't matter where you ended up there's just so much to talk about and it's never not an interesting and fun conversation which is why i'm glad we got to have this one yeah thanks i feel the same way it's lovely to meet you both come visit um alabama we've got a guest house we'd love to put you up (laughs) alabama get the full jewish experience the the home of the civil rights american civil rights you got to come check us out that is true i've been (laughs) uh, what 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 city is it? Birmingham. Birmingham. I'm the home almost positive I've been to Birmingham before. Well, come again. We'd love to see you. Look us look us up anytime, all right? Yeah, Sounds definitely. Good. Thanks so much. Take well, care. Well, thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>